Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. All right. Um, if you need a Bible, would you wave at one of our ushers and I'd be happy to pass one to you. And you can turn over to Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to be there this morning. We're continuing on in this series, Apps for the Modern World. Am I working? Okay, I'll try not to move very much, um, which is hard. I talk with my hands, so um, that's kind of hard to do. But um, as we're going through this series, each week kind of stands alone, and yet we're taking a passage of Scripture and how God has used it, applied it in my life, and, or whoever the speaker might be. We've had different speakers this summer, but whoever the speaker might be, how God has used that in their life. And... I'm excited about this one. I'm excited about every one of these, quite honestly, because all of them are part of the story that God's been building in my life and continues to build in my life. But I I really love this. We're going to be looking at a particular verse in Hebrews, but I love the entire book of Hebrews. It is probably, it's hard to say, that it's probably my favorite book in the Bible. I mean, there are some other really great books and they're all good. But Hebrews has just special meaning to me and just how God has used it in my own life. And we're going to be looking at that But I want to try to set the stage, and I want to give you a reason to listen this morning, all right, as we're going through this. Um, My wife and her family are from St. Louis, and I spent about a year or so there before we were married. When you think of St. Louis, what comes to your mind first, or what do you picture? The arch. I heard somebody say it. The arch. Budweiser. Okay. All right, we know, all right. Actually, one of the best tours you'll ever take is the tour of the brewery there at Anheuser-Busch. I mean, it really is cool how all that works. I'm not recommending that, I'm not recommending anything other than that, but I do like the, the tour is really, is really cool. And, uh, but, now that we've passed this service announcement this morning, um, for those of you who go to St. Louis, the arch is probably the thing that people see the most. And... The arch is incredible. Um, I, I know for Lori and her family, they've been there a lot. I went there a number of times while I was there. And there are different parts of it. There's a museum at the bottom of it, really, really cool. And then, of course, people love to go up in it. I don't love that so much. They put you in these little things, and you kind of work your way up. It. And in the summertime, it's hot. And Anyway, but, it, you know, some people really like going up in that thing and up to the top. My favorite part of the arch is watching the video of how they built it. It's my favorite part. Um, it's 15, 20 minutes, and they show you the construction. They videotaped, and, and, it's, and they're narrating as they're going through it, and it's really, really cool. But like any major superstructure that you see in this country, it doesn't matter what it is, before they start building up, they build down. And, and so they show you the excavation that took place and how deep they go and all the concrete and rebar and all the things that are down there to, to build a foundation, something, because you can't build a superstructure that, that large, that tall without going deep with the foundation. What's at the bottom? Hebrews is one of those books that shows you the superstructure of our Christian faith, but it gets to the heart as well. It shows you what's at the bottom. It shows you the foundation. The verse we're going to look at today is the foundation of the superstructure. All right? And so I want you to listen as we go through this today because some of you, maybe many of you, will be able to identify. I... um, I came to know the Lord early in my life. 
I, my, I grew up in a Christian home, um, went to church. I, I like to say I was born in church, not literally, but almost. Um, it was just a part of my life. I heard the Bible stories from a young age. I heard the gospel, knew who Jesus was. And at the age of six, I felt the Holy Spirit moving in my heart. I felt this drawing. That I, I didn't understand. I couldn't explain it. I couldn't put it in theological terms. I was six years old. But I knew that something was happening inside, and there was this drawing. And I responded. I remember going forward. I'll never forget. It was on Sunday night. I remember going forward, and Mr. Van Devender, who was one of our deacons and a longtime friend, um, he was there. Actually, the pastor was there, and I went and said something to him. It's like, all I remember saying is, I need Jesus. You know, I, I need Jesus. And I didn't know what else to say. And he called Mr. Van Devender, and he took me off into one of the side areas, and he talked with me for a few minutes, and he shared with me the gospel, which I already knew all. I mean, I'd heard it and heard it and heard it. And, and he said, Troy, would you like to pray and ask Jesus to come into your life, take control of? And I go, yes, that's what I want to do. And I did that day. And I believe that it was real. It was genuine. I never discourage, and I never discourage parents to allow your children to, to follow the Lord at whatever age he's drawing them no matter how young. Now, what I do encourage with parents is as they get older, go back and continue to have conversations with them about this because sometimes we're young and we're confused. But there's no doubt in my mind the Holy Spirit was drawing me. And I know that He changed me that day. How do I know that? Because as time went on, I began to experience things I had never experienced before. One was a conviction over things that I never knew before. And so things that I had done prior to that, now all of a sudden, they bothered me. I would feel this, this conviction within, this heaviness, this burden. And especially as I got older, and I got into my preteens and early teens and, and going through you know, junior high, high and high school, senior high, I had this real conflict going on inside. And I felt so guilty, so lost, so bad. And there was a period of time there in my life that went on for quite a while where I would come and constantly, I mean, almost on a daily basis, I'd go into my room and I'd close the door and I would pray the sinner's prayer all over again and I would get saved all over again, at least in my mind. I, obviously, Lord, I did something wrong or it didn't take or this isn't working for me. And so I would pray it over and over again. And this happened repeatedly, where I would go back and pray and say, Lord, something's wrong here. I feel so guilty. I understand now, but I didn't understand then. And I didn't have the courage to tell anybody, really, what was going on. I pretended that everything was fine and pretended that I knew all the right answers. And so nobody knew and nobody explained to me or even knew to explain to me that what I was experiencing is the first evidence of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. It's a good thing. I once had somebody come up to me and had prayed with them to receive Christ, and they came back a week later, and they said, it didn't work. I said, why not? And they said, I feel like a worse sinner now than I did before. I said, great, that's good news. And what do you mean it's good news? It means it worked. I think the Holy Spirit is in you because that's what he does. He comes in and he says, no, I don't want you to go this way. I want you to go this way. I want to change this in you. It is God in you who's revealing these things. But I didn't understand that. So I'm going through this, and I really, really wrestled, and I'd pray. And so 
when I was about 17, I think, I prayed and I prayed again, prayer of salvation, Lord, if I didn't mean or whatever. And I, at the same time, someone talked about total dedication. So I totally dedicated my life to the Lord. I did that a number of times through the years as well, total dedication and all. I'm not a big fan of the phrase total dedication, all right? And now again, you can disagree, and that's okay. I mean, it's not evil or bad. But here's what I meant when I said it. Maybe you meant something different. But in my mind, total dedication meant I was going to try harder to do better. I was dedicating the flesh to do what the flesh was never intended to do. All right? And so often when we talk about total dedication, now what I believe the Scripture teaches is total surrender and total dependence. That's what Scripture teaches. And total dedication, though, from our mindset, is often is me trying harder to do what I couldn't do before, but I'm going to do better this time. How many of you have told the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry, but I'm going to do better next time? All right, we all have, right? That's our flesh, because our flesh does not want to humble itself and say, you know what, I can't do this. Do you realize that the only person who can live the Christ life is Christ? He's the only one who can live it. You and I can't. And so he said, I put my spirit in you, the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit in you, to do what you cannot do. Because everything that Christ did here on this earth, he did by the power of the Spirit in him. Remember, as he began his ministry, he had the Spirit. Matter of fact, the Spirit was with him even before he was born, because we see that when his mother came in contact with Elizabeth. And John the Baptist leaped in the womb when Jesus in the womb came into his presence. Everything that Jesus does, everything that he did while he was here on planet Earth, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, I intend that for you as Christians. That's the way you're supposed to live. I didn't understand any of this. And so I'm trying harder to do better. And I'm miserable. I'm hating life. On the other hand, there were things in the world and sin. People tell me sometimes, you know, sin just isn't fun. And I say, you haven't tried the right sin. All right? Sin can be fun for a moment, for a season. And I was experiencing it. I was it's like, hey, I kind of like that. And that's good. And that's fun. And then it wasn't. And then there was this guilt. And then there was this conviction of the Holy Spirit. Then there was this, this weight and heaviness. Well, as I began to get in my late teens and early 20s, I, I began to believe more of what the Scripture says, that I really was saved. This was the Holy Spirit in me, and He was convicting, convincing of sin. He was guiding and directing. He was, it was actually a benefit to my life, not, not a bad thing. And I'm, I'm beginning to understand this, but I still had one great struggle in my life. Now, I told you that Hebrews is a book about the superstructure of Christianity getting down to the foundation. Here's the theme of Hebrews, all right? Here's the superstructure. Number one, that there's an identity that we have with Jesus. He became our high priest, and he identifies with us because he was tempted in every way, just like us, yet without sin. So every fear that you've had, Jesus understands. Every temptation you've ever experienced, he knows because it's come to him. Every hurt, every wound, Everything that you've gone through in your life and you think no one understands, Jesus says, I do. I experienced them all. Matter of fact, every one of us, he experienced everything that every one of us has ever known or ever will know. There's this identity, okay? That's good news. That, that's, that's important. Not only has he experienced it, but he has the power to do something about it. Other people can experience with you and say, yeah, I know how you feel. I felt the same way. But often they don't have the power to do anything about it. He does. 
So there's this identity that you see in Hebrews. There's also this strengthening of faith that you see in Hebrews. That as we grow and mature, our faith is strengthened. That we are growing in faith. That we're hearing God and believing Him more. There's a growing confidence in who God is and how He works. All this is happening as we mature. There is a a new desire to be near God. To experience Him. Not just know about Him intellectually. But to experience His presence. To recognize when He's moving and when He's speaking. Hebrews talks about all of this. As a matter of fact, five times in the book of Hebrews it says, draw near to God. Because he's, he's drawing near to you. He's making a way for you. So there's this nearness of relationship. And he says this nearness of relationship with God will change the way you relate to each other. And Hebrews talks about that as well. All right, so all of these are great. In theological terms, these are huge, big topics theologically. These are all the superstructure, if you will, of Christianity. But in Hebrews 8, we get to the foundation. Because if you don't believe what's in Hebrews 8, all the rest of it won't matter. You will not experience the nearness and the fellowship and the identity and the, and, and the sense of faith strengthened and confidence in God if you don't get the foundation. In Hebrews chapter 8, some of you are already looking. It's like, which verse? Which verse? What? This is good. I want you to see it. You have, this is the foundation for everything else in the gospel that's presented. It's in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. What does it say? The Lord's speaking. He says, I'm making a covenant. I'm making a new covenant. And in this covenant, I will be merciful toward their iniquities. Iniquities is literally your willful sin. Sometimes you sin because you didn't intend to, and sometimes you sin because you intended to. You willfully are rebellious. He says, they're willful iniquities. I'll show mercy toward. I'm going to show mercy toward them even though they willfully disobeyed me. And I will remember their sins no more. I will remember their sins no more. This was my struggle. Because as I was trying to walk with the Lord, I kept coming back to this place where I still felt guilty and condemned. I believed that God condemned me. That He was the one who was making me feel this way. That, yes, He had saved me. I believed in His Son. He had saved me. But He didn't really like me a whole lot. Most of the time, I didn't even like me. And, 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 for, and God can't forget anything, right? He remembers everything. Anybody ever been in a relationship? Don't look at anybody, all right? Anybody ever been in a relationship where someone has a tendency to bring up what happened in the past? Especially if it's bad and you did it. Everybody's sitting here trying not to move. I'm not going to look. The pastor told me not to look. I'm not going to look. Don't look. It will cause some contention this afternoon if you look. Don't poke anybody either, all right? It's, a human, it's our human nature. We can tend to bring up things in the past. And because we're used to that, because that's often a part of human relationship, even with the people we love, maybe especially with the people we love, we think of God the same way. I want to tell you a revolutionary thought to me one day, and it has had implication since the day the Lord spoke it to my heart. 
when the Lord spoke to me one day because I was, I was, it was with my kids and I was getting frustrated and I thought, Lord, you're the same. You get frustrated with me, I know. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, Troy, I am not like you. I'm not like you. So no, I don't get frustrated. And he doesn't bring up past failure in this relationship. I do that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do it. He's not like me. He's not like you. I will remember their sins no more. You say, that's such a good verse, but it's only one time. Aren't you taking it out of context? I'm so glad that God didn't put it in there just one time. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. It was so good. He said, let's talk about it twice more. All right. Hebrews chapter 10. And we're starting there in verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus in us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. Now notice this is in quotes. See how verse 16 is in quotes? He's quoting from somewhere else. Where is he quoting from? If you have a, a, a study Bible or a reference Bible, it probably has a little footnote there. Jeremiah 31. Oh, this really began to rock my world. Because, yeah, the New Testament, Jesus is loving, but that Old Testament God is mean, all right? He's mean. No, he's not. God's plan from the very beginning was to make a new covenant, and in that new covenant, he would remember our sins and lawless deeds no more. That was his plan. Jeremiah 31 says so. He says, I'm going to make a covenant. He's talking about Israel specifically and spreading it out past the nation of Israel to those of us who would believe in Jesus. It was because the same way that they were going to experience that, you and I as Gentiles would experience that. So it's in Jeremiah 31. If you want to go back and look at it, I think it's starting in verse 31 through like 35. He's talking about this. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Now, how does a God who can't forget anything remember your sins no more? He chooses to not remember them. Why? Because his justice has been satisfied. They've already been paid for. Not just the ones that you committed in the past. That's, that's significant enough. That kept me tripped up for a long time, just the stuff I'd done in the past. But the things you'll do today and the ones you'll do tomorrow, all paid for. I know some of you get nervous when I start talking like this because the legalist in us, we get nervous. Pastor, you cannot tell people that. They're going to go out and sin all over town. All right? It has been my experience that a true understanding, a revelation of grace does not make you want to sin more. It makes you want to sin less. But this was tripping me up because I really believed that God not only remembered my sins, but because of it, he saved me and he had to love me, but he didn't like me very much. Now, how can you come near and draw near to a God you don't think likes you? Let me ask you, how do you draw near a person you don't think likes you? You don't. Is there anybody in your life that you just are confident they don't like you? How much time do you spend with them? Not a whole lot, right? Unless you have to. Maybe you work for them or something or, you know, 
Maybe they're a teacher or something in school and you feel like they really don't like you, but you have to go every day anyway. We don't run to people we think don't like us. So I didn't. I didn't run to the Lord. I didn't bring my need and my hurt and my wounds to him because I didn't think he liked me. I think, I think he had a big list there. And he had, you know, he had marked them off, but they were still clearly visible. They weren't. They aren't. My sins and lawless deeds, he remembers no more. No more. He doesn't remember them. He can't even draw them up. Have you ever had the experience where something was very painful in your life, but Jesus has brought healing to it, and now you can't even remember most of the things around it? You can't remember the details? Of, I mean, you remember that it happened, but you can't remember all the pain and all the anguish. You remember it in a new way. This is like that, but more, more so. Because he doesn't remember it at all. He chooses not to remember your sins and your lawless deeds. Now, let me show you. I told you that there's a superstructure built on this foundation. It's like in the first eight chapters, they've been laying out this case that he's our high priest, that he identifies with us, that we draw near to him, that there's a closeness, that there's a strengthening of faith, there's a growing confidence in God. Now look at the verses following this. Verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Sin doesn't have to be paid for. It was already paid for, which means you and I don't pay for it. Oh, I spent so much of my Christian life trying to pay for my sin. Because I felt like Jesus did it. He covered all the ones. He covered all my sin. He paid for my sins. But not really because I had to do my part. Any of you ever feel like that? I mean, it's only right. Jesus did so much for me. I got to do my part. There was no part you could do. If there was a part you could do, we'd still have the old covenant. That was the, that was the premise of the old covenant. That God would do his part and Israel would do theirs. But Israel failed. They couldn't live up to it, just like you and I would fail. They couldn't live up to their part. So God creates a new covenant. That's the book of Hebrews. That's why I love Hebrews so much. Hebrews explains all this. There was an old covenant you couldn't live up to, so God made a new covenant. And instead of you being part of the covenant, you, God would do his part and you do your part. God says, you know what? I'm going to take both parts. I'm going to do both. And you get to enter in by faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to do both parts. I'm going to do your part and my part. Now, as Americans, we wrestle with this because it's like, no, we got to do our own part. we got to pull ourselves up by the bootstrap. When it comes to salvation, there is no part for you to play other than to believe. That's the only part you can play in this. There is nothing you can do. You can't work hard enough, be good enough to do it. The only thing that you can do, the only thing that's accepted under the new covenant is that you believe that Jesus did it all for you. That's all you can do. Notice what it says, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, see this identification, this entering in, by the new and living way, this new covenant that he opened up to us through the curtain. Remember the curtain ripped when Jesus died. There was a picture in all of this. Jesus opening a way that was not there before. That is through his flesh, through his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, what does he say? Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Here is faith increasing. And the drawing near with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. There's a growing confidence in God and who He is and what He's done. For He who promised is faithful. Let's assume for a moment that your salvation was dependent upon your dedication and how dedicated you are. Think about the best, most dedicated day you can think of in your life. The day where you felt the most dedicated. I mean the most spiritual. You, I mean, you woke up that morning at four and read your Bible for three hours. And you know, you prayed and maybe you fasted that day. I don't know. I mean, just whatever made you feel spiritual. Okay? And you helped the poor and you stopped and went back to help somebody. I mean, all the things that you may think made you more dedicated, more committed, more spiritual. Your best day. Would you like to, would you, do you want to bet your eternal destiny on your best day? I wouldn't. And God help us on our worst day. You know what this is saying? I love this. For he who promises faithful, we read that, yeah, amen. You know what he's really saying? That my salvation, my eternal destiny is not based on my commitment, but it's based on his. It's not based on my faithfulness. It's based on His. Folks, this was revolutionary to me when God began to reveal it and open my eyes. I mean, it... Now, notice what happens with other people. Look at the next verse with me. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. When God begins to do this in you, you want other people to know about it. When you begin to see this, you want to tell them. Grace is not a secret you keep to yourself. It is good news. When John Newton wrote Amazing Grace, he was right. It is amazing grace. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as is the habit of some. Here he's laying out the foundation for why we meet together. Why do we regularly come together? To encourage, to remind of what has been done for us and what is being done for us. Now some have the habit of not meeting together. But encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All right? So we see all these areas where this foundation of believing that our sin and lawless deeds, he remembers no more. They have been paid for. But let me show you what else he says here. Because sometimes you say, wait a second, does that mean sin doesn't matter? It's not important? Look at the next verse with me. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. What is he saying? Some interpret this verse in Hebrews chapter 6 to mean you can lose your salvation. I do not. I don't believe that those interpretations fit within the context of the book of Hebrews or, quite honestly, the entire New Testament. If I could lose my salvation, then it is dependent upon my works, not his. Okay? And so I do not believe that. But these are some confusing verses. If you don't see them in the light, that's the reason. When you read Hebrews, read it all. Sit down and read the whole thing and reread it all together. Because when you begin to see the big picture, these verses make a lot of sense. What he's saying is, if after hearing this truth, it being made plain to you, at least to your physical ear and your mental understanding, but you go on sinning deliberately, that there is no change, there is no desire from change. What is he saying? You haven't been changed. You're lost. Now, don't get offended me. You know, it's like, Pastor, you say I'm lost. No, I'm not saying anything. The scripture is saying that if you can deliberately go on sinning 
without any sense of conviction within, without any desire for anything different. If that is a part of your life, you can go on and it is no big deal to you. The scripture is saying the Holy Spirit doesn't reside within you. So you go and you say, Lord, I'm lost. I don't have life within. I don't have new life. Sin is a big deal. As I said before, grace will cause you to want to sin less, not sin more. Sin is a big deal. And so when I'm saying that he remembers our sins and lawless deeds no more, I am not minimizing sin. It messes with our, even as believers, it messes with our faith. It messes with the nearness that we have to God. Not that he moved away. We don't feel as connected to him. We don't feel that intimacy because sin separates. That's what it does. It causes us to believe lies. It destroys our life and the life of people around us. Sin kills everything it touches. Sin is a big deal. But you, in order, I think, sometimes what we have done, guys like me, to help people not take sin lightly, we have not preached theologically correct doctrine. We didn't want you to go out there and sin and take it lightly. So we put the onus on you. Jesus said, no, I took it all. It's on me. Let me transform you and watch what happens to sin. This has been my experience and continues to be my experience. The, the more I see Jesus, the more I see my Savior, the less desire I have for sin. It just seems to happen that way. And the more I focus on sin, the more desire I have for it. That's the reason there are steps that we take with the sin in our life. That's the reason Scripture says not to put wicked things before your eyes and not to, to make provision for the flesh. There are things that we are drawn to. Don't make it easy for the enemy to win victories in your life. But we don't do it in our own strength. We do it by the power of the Spirit at work in us. Now, years ago, I saw a demonstration. And I don't even remember where I saw it. But um, it, it had an impact on me, a tremendous impact on me back, way back when. The first time I ever did it, I did it for when I was a youth pastor, and I did it for youth. I'm going to roll my sleeves up a little bit so I don't get them stained. And to me, this illustration, I, I had done this, actually I had done it a number of times for people different groups, and never really understood the significance of it. I was doing it with one thought in mind, but when God began to make this real to me, this came alive. I thought, Lord, that's it. That's what you did. So if you're sitting there struggling, maybe this visual will help you, okay? Maybe this will help you as we're going through this. Now, I have up here two containers and from where you are, they probably look identical. They really are in many senses. They're tap water out of the same faucet in the kitchen. All right? Can you tell the difference between these two? They look almost identical, right? They are. They are water. The only difference between them is one of them has added to it a clearing agent. That's literally what it's called. It's called a clearing agent. Or you could say a cleansing agent. Now, two... The two most commonly asked questions I get when I do this, number one, is there bleach in here? No, there is no bleach. 
The second question is, is this food coloring? No, it is not food coloring, okay? Those are the two most common questions I get when I do this. And if you want later, I'll explain to you how I do it. It's very simple. Most of my life, I didn't understand the gospel. I'm going to move these apart and put this one in the middle. And if you're listening on podcast, I'm sorry, because you can't see any of this, okay? How many of you have seen me do this before? All right, how many have never seen this? All right, quite a few of you. The glove is going to represent you and me, all right? This is us, this is our lives. And here's our thought. What we think is that we're basically good. We're born pretty white. I mean, this glove is fairly white. And uh, it's, it looks fairly clean. It, I did wash it, and, you know, and it, it's, it's relatively clean. We think we're born this way and that life just comes along and things happen to us and sin comes along and it kind of affects us a little bit. We're basically clean, but we get a little sin on us, okay? We get, we get a little bit going on. And, and then it stains us, okay? And it's like, oh, that's a problem. I don't, I don't want to look like that. So I'm going to come over here, and I'm going to try to clean myself up. But it doesn't really work. I'm, I still got this stain. And, and then I have more sin that comes, you know, more things that I get into. And so I've got this, and so I keep coming over here. And from where you are, it may be hard to see, but not only am I not cleaning off my glove, but the water's getting darker. The things I'm trying to use to, to clean myself up, they aren't working. And I got a bigger problem than I realized. It isn't just that I fall into sin sometimes. The scripture says I was born in it. I was born in sin. You are not a sinner because you sin. How many sins does it take to make you a sinner? Some of you say one. I didn't mean for this to be a trick question, but we need to understand our, our theology has to be correct. None. You do not have to sin one time to be a sinner. Now, there is a verse that says if we break even one, we're guilty of breaking them all. And that's sometimes why people answer one. Because James 2 tells us if you break one of the commands, you've broken them all. But the reality is, Scripture says, I was born in sin before I ever did anything. I was born a sinner. I was born like this. And I'm over here with my good works and my effort trying to clean myself up and it's not working. And I keep trying and I keep trying and it's not working. And then I fall back in. I do things. I've, I've, I've dedicated my life. I've totally dedicated my life. And then I fall back in it again and I'm back over here trying to clean it up. And this is just getting yellow and murky and ugly and I still have the same problem. My glove is still stained. It's still got an issue. The Scripture says, the Scripture says that, and I want this to have more effect, so I'm going to put my hand back in here for a minute. Um, that you and I could not fix ourselves. We couldn't deal with our sin. We couldn't. We didn't have any hope of it. Every religion will teach you that you just do good works. 
You work harder. You do good things. You balance the scale. Christianity is unique in the sense that Christianity will tell you right up front, there's no amount of good works that you can do that will help you. They won't help. They will not save you. They will not make you clean. They cannot. Jesus became the mediator, according to Hebrews, of a new and better covenant. And what is that covenant? It simply says that he takes us when we believe in him by faith. We are in him. We are immersed in him. And when we are immersed in him, he remembers our sins and our lawless deeds no more. No more. Now, I want to tell you, I always thought that was cool. Man, the glove's white again. That's really cool. I'll show you something else, though. Because not only does Jesus deal with the sin that, that we were born with, who we are, our nature, but he comes into this area of good works and the good works that we want to do because a lot of times there's sin mingled in our good works. So what does he do? He comes in here. I don't know if you can see that from where you are, but that water that had been stained is now clear again. But that's not even the best part. All right? You think, what about all this sin? And if you could see this, let me put a top back on here and shake it a little bit. This is really, it, it looks very dark where you are. It's really red. If I shake it a little bit, you can see it under the light. It's a very deep, dark red. We sing the song one day, and I love it. It's an old song, and we sing a newer version of it. But there's one phrase in that song that I do not like. It bothers me every time we sing it. And it says, one day when sin was as black as could be. Sin is not black. Scripture never describes sin as black. Isaiah says, though, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be white as snow. It, descri it describes them. I think that's very significant, especially in the day and the culture in which we live, that we clearly speak what Scripture speaks. Because what we do then is we identify an entire race with sin because we misidentified something that Scripture never says. So you've got, you've got this sin, which is really bad, and it's dark. But I can take any amount of this, it does not matter, and I add it to Christ. And it makes absolutely no difference. Absolutely not. Lori, would you come to play? And would you do me a favor before you go up and help me touch that off? Thank you. I don't think you can dry your hand on the towel there. <laughs> All right. That's what you do when you get married. You help with even that yucky stuff. Some of you are thinking, I was going to shake his hand after service, but I'm not now. I use my left hand, so. Your sins and your lawless deeds, he remembers no more. He is the cleansing agent. He's the cleansing one. He's the saving one. 
Some of you, you cannot think about your past without certain things coming up and just guilt and shame. He remembers your sin. If you are in Christ, He remembers your sin and your lawless deeds. No more. No more. Is there anybody in here who doesn't have things in their past they wish they could change? Things you wish you'd never done, never never seen, never been part of, never said. Sin and all the awful consequences of it. He pays for it. He did pay for it. I want you to do something with me. Right where you are. Would you close out every other distraction? If that means closing your eyes, fine. Whatever you need to do, there are no other distractions. If you are a believer, if you are in Christ today, and you know that, would you believe this? That He remembers your sins and your lawless deeds no more? This is the beginning of really knowing nearness and a strengthening of faith and a growing confidence. Spirit, would you speak? I use words and the words that you give me, but they're just words. Holy Spirit, would you speak? Would you speak to hearts today? Would you do miracles today, Lord? in us and what we believe. Would you cause those who are laden with guilt would you speak to their heart today? Would you show them who you are and what you've done? Would you do another miracle and you keep prompting me with this so I'm going to ask in our lives not only help us believe that you did this for us but you did it for others as well help us see other people differently to realize that if they're in you you don't remember their sin anymore either and Lord by the power of your spirit help us not to and Lord this is hard This is hard.
And Lord, for those who are, maybe they claim to be in Christ, but there's a continuing sin. I pray that you would draw by your spirit and open their eyes and their ears to recognize they need you. They have religion. They have information about you, but they don't know you. Lord, would you draw them? If that's you this morning, if you're in this room and you think, I know a lot about Jesus, but I'm not sure I know him. Today's your day. Just respond. You say, how do I respond? Say, Jesus, I believe that you're my only hope. You're the only answer. You're the only way. I can't do this. I receive what you have already done for me by dying and paying for my sin. I receive you into my life. I give you control. And not just pardon from sin, but the power to overcome it. Jesus, I receive you. You just tell him in your own words. You don't have to use my words. Your words are fine. Jesus, I receive you. I believe you are my only hope. Lord, those of us who are believers, help us because we've had a wrong understanding of what you really did for us and what the new covenant means. We've not often done a good job of communicating this new covenant to other people. We haven't given them good news. We've given them sometimes heavy news, sometimes discouraging news. But what you brought is good news. Help us give good news to be bearers of good news. Lord, we thank you. I pray that each of us, young and old, and everybody in between, as we leave here today, Lord, we hear and we have heard from you that you have spoken to us, that you, by your Spirit, tell us that you remember our sins and our lawless deeds no more, that they have been paid for, that you not only love us, but you also like us, that we are your favorite, every single one of us. We are your favorite. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Before we go this morning, in a moment when we dismiss, we have prayer partners here at the front. We'll pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. But I just have this theme going on in my heart, my soul this morning. Lori, could we, before we go, can we just sing Amazing Grace? It's just real simple. You guys know it. Why don't you stand with me right where you are and just sing with me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see, my chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my grace is amazing. You are amazing. Your truth is amazing. And Lord, I do pray. I pray that your spirit would make clear all of these things to us, that we would not abuse them, that we would not take it for granted. We would not take it lightly. We'd never take sin lightly. And yet, Lord, I recognize that grace, if it's really taught the way you teach it, it has the opportunity to be abused. But I'm praying for a work of your spirit in each of our lives, that we would live it to the fullest. We'd experience it for all that you intended, and we'd communicate it to others that way. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. If you need prayer about anything, we're here. God bless you. You're dismissed.